Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to the Framestore Podcast. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore Podcast, a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. We have a very special episode for you this week where we break the tradition of our two parter format with a standalone episode we recorded live from this year's FMX conference in Stuttgart, Germany. This year's conference, we ran a number of workshops and talks from our first ever company suite. And part of the schedule was this live podcast with none other than Tim Weber, award-winning visual effects supervisor and Framestore's very own chief creative officer. We talk about all things flight, gravity, the early years of Framestore, and of course, Tim's desert island food. So settle in, grab a pilsner and some schnitzel, and please enjoy episode 21 of the Framestore podcast, our FMX special. Welcome to a very special live from FMX episode of the Framestore podcast. And let's prove it's live by making an absolute ton of noise. Give it up for Tim Weber. Thank you. Very impressive for such a small crowd. Excellent. It's massive. It's like Madison Square Gardens right here. Um, So hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, the Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore. And welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Regular listeners will know that every two weeks we invite a guest from our global Framestore community to take on the Framestore podcast dailies, our 13-question grilling, set questions designed to find out our guests' inspirations, their work at our studio, career journey so far, plus all manner of tips, tricks, and advice. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome to the pod Tim Weber, award-winning visual effects supervisor and Framestore's chief creative officer. With over 35 years in our industry, Tim has worked on some of the most iconic and visually stunning films of our time, including Gravity, make some noise, Avatar, and The Dark Knight, to name a mere few. With an Academy Award, or an Oscar, for Best Visual Effects for his work on Gravity, Tim is known for his innovative approach to visual effects, which has helped to push the boundaries of what is possible on screen. In his latest project, Flight, I will get to the end shortly, Tim, Tim continues to change the game of digital storytelling by creating a visually stunning and emotionally compelling movie that takes us on a journey through the skies. The film establishes Fuse, Framestore's Unreal shot engine, a new VFX pipeline using Unreal Engine. Welcome to the podcast once again. I think that's three introductions I've done, Tim, already. Um, I'm going to get into it, but yes, great to have you on the pod. I feel very welcome. Absolutely. Well, ironically, uh, I say ironically, uh, when I first joined Framestore a year and a half ago, when I did my little little FTV live to draw the crowd 
we brought Tim Webber. So you interviewed me when I started. I did, which was that's a, right. Yeah, yeah. A lovely memory. And yeah. now I get to turn the tables. I won't be asking you whether you're a cat or dog person, I promise. <laughs> okay. But uh, it's nice to be uh, having, having another conversation with you, Tim. So I'm going to get into it. You know, the law of podcasts say we have about 45 minutes to an hour of, uh, of chat ahead of us. And everyone is talking about flight, You're not just at Framestore. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's growing, the conversation's building. And I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind flight. And if you can rewind to tell us a bit about how Fuse came about in the first place. Yes, well, uh, first of all, I'll just explain. Flight is the name of the short film. Fuse is the name of the pipeline which we built to make flight and to make other films. So Fuse stands for Framestore Unreal Shot Engine. But it's also called Fuse because it's, it's fusing a traditional visual effects pipeline with an Unreal pipeline. So people have been making particularly short films in Unreal for a while, but they've always been made with very small teams of usually generalists working very tightly together. Um, and you know, Unreal isn't designed, it's a game engine. It's not designed for large projects, large films of the scale that we usually work on at Framestore. Um, and we wanted to add all the tools and the pipeline and the workflows and build up a system to be able to do that. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, Flight is the film and in developing a um, you know, in developing a new set of tools, you are much better off to do it on a project um, when you're actually using it for real. If you if you build something like that in a sort of ivory tower, you don't always create the right tools that you actually need. It's much better working on a real project. It's much harder because we were making the film flight and making the pipeline fuse at the same time, which was very challenging yeah. for both of them. Um, but I think we ended up with a much, much better pipeline in the end. Um, so, yeah, so the inspiration for Fuse was we, you know, we wanted to be able to, to, to work as, it, it, to the same scale and the same quality as we do on traditional visual effects films. Um, we, you know, in the end on flight, we used pretty much every department within the company. So all of these different people working together in a coordinated way, they're not generalists. Many of them had never used Unreal before and they, you know, there's not time to retrain everyone to be uh, really familiar with Unreal. So we had to build all of everything to set that up. Uh, and... Flight is a film, I mean, the inspiration for Flight came partly as a testbed for Fuse, but, um, but also I've been wanting to make films using Unreal and using virtual production in a particular types of virtual production um, for many years now. I mean, really, since I made Gravity, I saw the potential in Gravity. We made the whole film in previs before we made, shot the film. Um, people... Alfonso sometimes talks about how we made the film twice, um, which we sort of did. And you can you can make something in previs, and you can then make creative judgments about the whole film uh, before you've even shot it. And I think there's a huge potential in that, and we made use of that potential in Flight. I mean, it only sort of works for fully CG films. I mean, Flight isn't fully CG. I mean, but it is a, an awful lot of it is CG. Yeah. But it it gives you a sort of pipeline. Uh, that allows you to build up what you're working, almost like you're working on an animated movie rather than a live-action movie. So yeah. that, that was 
Excellent. And how much can you tell us about uh, the concept behind flight and the story and kind of uh, the development process of that? So w when we set out to make flight, uh, originally we, our intention was to make a 30-minute film with about three CG characters in it. Um, but we weren't going to finish the whole film. The idea was to make enough of it to show what we could do and to work on a longer film because we wanted to prove out the pipeline would work on a longer piece of material. Of but uh, for various budgeting reasons, that turned out to be definitely not possible at all <laughs> by quite a long way, yeah. even though we weren't intending to finish it. Part of the problem was we had to finish everything for technical reasons. Um, so at the last minute, I had to rewrite the story. We'd already started working on the previs, but I had to rewrite the story. We'd used all our time with our proper experienced professional writer, so I had to write it myself, um, and sort of write it to fit what we needed, and you know, ended up, at that point, we thought we could afford three and a half minutes of CG, but um, we ended up making about 12 minutes of fully CG material, yeah. pretty much fully CG material. Awesome. And, and yeah, so I, was, you know, I had some ideas, and then we managed to find a way to fit them together to, to make the film. Awesome. And, and, and Fuse as a, as a learning experience, because it is a new pipeline, as you said, you know, what's next for Fuse? I mean, we'll talk about flight in a minute, but what's next for that pipeline? Well, Fuse, bits of Fuse, it was built to be modular, so that, you know, it, it, the whole of Fuse works for a particular type of project. You know, we, we finished everything in Unreal, final pixel in Unreal. Uh, which wouldn't be something we would be normally doing. Mm -hmm. But bits of Fuse are already being used on other shows, even though they're not fully CG, they're not finishing in Unreal. But, you know, throughout the company, parts of it are being used. And, you know, I am looking to do another project, a more full-length project like Flight, where we do everything in CG again, and we use the whole pipeline of Fuse and more, because, like you say, it was a learning project we learned a lot of it and you know, we can do a lot more and take a step further basically awesome. thank you tim and you've talked a lot about the technology behind the film uh, and yes just today in modern filmmaking how do you balance the use of visual effects software with the craft of, of storytelling and character development and what's the kind of balance of that? well the balance is very one-sided i'd say you know the story visual effects and technology should always be done to serve the story. You know, even yeah. with flight, uh, we, w we were developing the pipeline, we wanted to make a film, but it was important that it, we, you know, I came up with a story that was a good story and then the technology was used in service right. of the story. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cliche these days to say the story is the most important thing. Um, and actually, when I was working with Alfonso Cuaron on, on Gravity, he said at one point, actually, the story isn't the most important thing. Mm. Cinema is the most important thing. It's not always story. It's about an experience you get out of, you know, the whole of cinema, the big picture, the sound, the story, and everything. But the one thing that's not the most important is the technology. You know, the technology has to be the appropriate technology to achieve what it is you want to tell yeah. through the story, through the cinema. Interesting. And that leads us neatly into our next question, because you've touched on gravity already, and you've worked on some huge shows, as we said in uh, our introduction. How does working on arguably what is a smaller scale project like Flight, how does that compare to working on the big scale productions that you've mentioned already? You know, what unique challenges present themselves on both sides? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, are we... 
we intentionally made it as, as like a big-scale production as we could because the point was to prove out the pipeline that it could work on a big-scale production. So we worked in the same way that you work on a big production. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like I say, you know, so we involved all the different departments. The animators were animating, the, you know, the environment artists were doing environments, the look dev people were doing look dev, and they all had to work together. And I tried my best to be a really stroppy director because that's what happens on the big projects um, uh, and that sort of thing. So we, we tried to make it like a big film, but of course, you know, we don't have the budget for a big film. Mm. We, I think 80% of the key people working on flight were doing their role for the first time and there was a lot of roles that weren't filled. I mean, there wasn't really a production designer. That, you know, there, wasn't, there was all sorts of key parts that we didn't have the budget for to extend over the full length of the period. Yeah. So... Um, so it was quite different, really. Yeah, and, mm. and, you know, I ended up doing a lot of roles myself, you know, mm, kind of thing. Of course. Um, but, yeah, a bit different, but, but we tried to make it as similar as we could. Cool. Thank you, Tim. And, and in terms of challenges on flight, so coming back to a budget aside, yeah. tell me a bit about what, what was the biggest challenge or challenges working on flight for you that you overcame. I mean, actually, one of the really big challenges was finishing in Unreal. You know, mm. it's not we wanted something that felt... We weren't going for photo real. The, the concept is that there's a machine that can read people's memories and visualise people's memories yeah. using computer visualisation. So it was sort of supposed to be CG, but in order to tell the nuanced story with digital human characters who were, you, you felt for, you, you, know, you felt some em empathy with, mm. etc., it had to have a level of reality that, you know, not a typical level that you get out of Unreal. And so, A, that meant we needed to use little bits of live action, uh, so, and Unreal isn't really designed to work with live action. That was a big challenge. Getting, we were in version 4, 4.27, not in 5.1, you know, when the rendering is much better. Um, but we were stuck in 4.27 because when we started. So, getting, you know, close to photoreal, which is what we were aiming for, renders, yep. was a big challenge. And then I made some extra challenges, um, trying to do a lot more material than we really could <laughs> afford. And uh, because it's told through someone's memory, there's some very long POV shots that go on for minutes, continuous shots. And I should have learned, I've done quite a few shows with long shots, gravity being one. Yeah. I should have learned just how much extra complication that adds to everything. It, it really multiplies up. The, all the other complexities, it multiplies up. So that was tough. Can we expect a director's, an extended director's, extended director's in the future? <laughs> if I could get the budget. Yeah, yeah right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, back to that again. <laughs> yeah, full circle. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it's not one about uh, our pre-prescribed questions, Tim, but you know, what would you have done differently if you could have started the whole process again? It would have been nice to know what we were aiming for when we started, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, rather than the sort of intending to tell one story, tell a different story, tell one story. Um, it would have been nice to, it would have been nice to have been in the latest version of Unreal. In fact, it, we worked on it quite slowly because of the lack of resources, because it was 2022, post-pandemic, there were no resources anywhere, so we were slower than we expected to be. Uh, if we'd known that, we would have made the change to 5.1. Mm -hmm. um, and what else would I have done different? I mean, it was, it was, it worked incredibly well. This, the, the concept of making the film 
in Unreal, up to the final render, which was very challenging, but up to that point was incredibly beneficial and got a lot of response. I mean, developing the tools as we were doing it was yeah. not ideal, but you know, we got a, but the principle of it was excellent. It yeah. lived up to my hopes, I'd say. Yeah, excellent. So, you know, I'd, I would do that again. Yeah. Just do it all again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? And I'm, I'm desperate to kick off the frame store dailies, but we're on the subject of technology and the constant evolution of technology. I mean, whether it's artificial intelligence or the advancements of all of the software that we work with and new software coming into play. How do you, as a, uh, a senior creative in industry, stay up to date with all of these new advancements? in industry? Well, I think you just have to be inquisitive um, yep. and curious. Um, I think if you are, then you will naturally stay up to date up to a point. You don't have to know the details of everything. Like yeah. I, uh, you know, I have not used Unreal myself. I would love to find the time to be able to spend, you know, to do one of the Unreal courses mm -hmm. or something, but um, I haven't, but it, it, it doesn't yeah. stop me you know, being able to work with it and, and champion it and make the best out of it. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I've been staying up to date now for decades, really, because uh, yeah. I've been in the industry a long time. And yeah. I think it's, it's tricky. You have to be continually interested, but it, it does work. I, the reason I'm sort of hesitating at this point is mm. that could well be about to change with AI and yeah. machine learning. It feels like there is a change happening now that is on a different, um, you know, a different scale to what's yeah. been going on before. And on that point, you know, how, how do you see the industry evolving within the next five to ten years? What's the future of the industry look like, do you think? I, I, don't, I actually think it's, at the moment, we are at a step change place, yep. and, and I don't think it's possible to predict. I yep. think Great. AI may not make that big a difference, but it could totally transform everything yep. massively. I, I think it's impossible, you know, at, at, right at the moment, it's impossible to say. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's any That's point fine. speculating. Yeah. Yeah. No. Really, let's nip that in the bud now because we're about to drop for Frame Store Podcast Dailies. Tim, are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay, let's drop the dramatic sound effect. Okay, Tim, welcome to the Dailies. Now, the first question is: Who, where, what? Who are you? Where are you? I think we know that. And what are you working on only if you're allowed to talk about it? So I'm Tim Weber. I'm the Chief Creative Officer at Framestore. I am a visual effects supervisor. I'm a, I mean, I, I haven't done actually much visual effects supervising on shows for a while now. Yep. Uh, and recently I've been a director, I suppose. Yes. Uh, I am in FMX in Stuttgart, of course. which will be um, unusual for the Frame Store podcast. <laughs> and uh, what am I working on now? I mean, I can rarely, or unusually, I can talk about it. I'm because I'm working on the publicity of yeah. flight mostly. I'm doing lots of things. I'm looking into machine learning, mm -hmm. how that's going to change things. I'm working in a, a lot of different areas, but. Uh, probably the thing that's taking up the most of the time. I thought I'd finished flight. Yeah. I thought that was done with, but there seems to be more to do now than there was yeah, <laughs> making the film. Yeah. So the full press junket press is junkets, well yeah. ahead of you. Going around the world, that sort of thing. Awesome. Yeah. That could be well a first on the podcast if somebody can actually talk about what they're working on. Yeah. Amazing. And I teased it out in the intro. I almost just answer all my own questions in the intro, but hey-ho. Um, how long have you worked here? So I said 35-plus years very broadly, but uh, how long have you actually well, I can't, I'm not sure I can be any more specific than that <laughs> because I refuse to, um, I think it's around about 35 yeah. 
years, probably, yeah. Yeah. So it's, I know it's over 30, but I, I refuse to count it. No, don't. You've got to stop <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this is what, an interesting question on the dailies, which uh, is about break in the VFX industry. And we often talk about big breaks as the first job in the industry. But a lot of people see their break as you know, different to that. It could be the moment where you knew this is what you wanted to do. But going back to your formative years, Tim, what do you consider to be your big break? I mean, I'd say my big break was to get into the industry before there really was an industry. Yeah. You know, digital visual effects didn't exist. Um, but I was there at the right time. You know, I, I got a job making coffee at Framestall when it was about 12, 15 people, something like that. Wow. Um, so I grew with the company as it grew. I grew with the industry as it, as it grew. You know, um, I, I, I did a lot of things for the first time because no one had done them before. No yeah. one had had the opportunity to do them before. So I think just being in, in the right place at the right time yeah. was, was great. Um, you know, the, uh, getting to work on Gravity was obviously a yeah. big break. It was a, a very unusual film creatively, technically, and, and just because, because it was so, you know, not many films at that point had been that much about visual effects probably just Avatar, yeah. and so I was at the heart of the filmmaking process in every way, yeah. and that was incredibly satisfying, and it, you know, and it enabled me to do lots of other things yeah. since, so that was... Yeah, and Gravity comes up a lot on the podcast whenever we talk about the Framestore show that sums up Framestore. I would say 75% of our guests go for Gravity. Gravity, right. Yeah, and, and is it true, I don't know whether this is a rumour or an urban legend, but is it true that the VFX credits were front and centre on the credit roll. Alfonso fought to change the normal traditional order of credits yeah. and I got a credit in a place that visual effects supervisors don't normally yeah. and the key team got moved up and yeah, he, he made some big changes to what was traditionally yeah. done because he, you know, he knew that w what a difference visual effects had made yeah. to it. So, yeah. I mean, that film is nothing without the visual effects, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Not that it's not a great story, of course. No. But, but yeah, absolutely. And I stay on this question because it fascinates me that you were at a frame store when it, there was just 12 to 15 people in the studio. Do you remember what the kind of vibe was like in the studio? Could you just take us back to what frame store was like when it was just a handful of folks? Yeah, sure. It was, it was lovely. Um, and I think it's, it's hanging on to little elements of that that makes frame store what it is today. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a small team of very creative, very decent, nice people, many of whom are still there today, yeah. you know, um, many, many years later. And, you know, it was, it, the company was in the right place at the right time as much as I was. And it, it you know, it was an opportunity to do new things, grow, um, and to just to, just to learn all the time because yeah. the technology was changing. As I said, there was, there was no such thing as digital visual effects yeah. at that point, really. Of so uh, we were inventing it as we went along, really. Yeah. What was the first show you worked on that interesting? The first long form. I did a lot of commercials yeah, and pop promos, and I, no one would have ever heard of those. The very first sort of long form thing I did was the first time anything like this was done. It was um, Gulliver's Travels for television, 1980-something, yeah. I think, nice. or early 90s, possibly. I'm terrible on dates. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and... It was, it was what was called a mini-series back then, two, I think they were an hour and a half each. Mm -hmm. And it had a very big budget 
for then, it wouldn't be much in the days of Netflix, but you know, it was Gulliver's Travels, giant yeah. people, small people, a lot of that going on. And we had to do, you know, previously we'd worked on things that were 30 seconds long, one minute long with 10 shots in, and this had 700 something shots in it. We, we had no idea what we were doing. And I was the visual effects supervisor mm -hmm. with a team of me and one other compositor. So. Yep. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Rare times for sure. Yeah. Um, so still on the subjects of Framestore, and this is, I always call this the cheesy question, so forgive me, but what is the best thing about being part of Framestore 35 plus years on? Well, as you said earlier, everyone always says the people, and it they is do. the people. Um, but, uh, it, it, yeah, you know, the people are great. And, and I, I think, as I sort of referred to, there, there has been a spirit and a culture to Framestore since those very early days, which, even though now it's a way, way bigger company, elements of that are still there. It was amazing how long people used to talk about Framestore and say it still has the feel of a family company. Yeah. They don't anymore with... <laughs> you know, thousands, thousands of people, uh, but it went on a lot longer than that should have, and it, you know, it still has a little bit of that in there. I'd yeah. say, yeah, it definitely comes up a lot for sure. And still on the frame store, so we're going to move into kind of formative years and mentoring shortly. Um, and I teased out the question: the big frame store show. Not sure I should allow gravity, but you can <laughs> say it if you want. But if you could recommend one show that truly showcases frame store at its very best, what would it be? I, I, I don't think I, I couldn't not say gravity. If I can't say gravity, I'll say, say I'll say flight. Yeah, <laughs> my own my yeah, own show. That, gravity. That's also cheating. It's <laughs> yeah. all right. It's allowed. <laughs> so moving into um, myths, then this is an interesting one. What's a common myth about your job, role, or field of expertise? What do people often get wrong, Tim? I think one of the slightly sad myths about it is that as you sort of become the visual effects supervisor and you're the sort of hub of the visual effects, creative and technical to a point, but you know, certainly creative, uh, that you get to be creative all the time. Uh, and actually that job, you know, as you sort of often in many roles as you get higher, the role becomes more about management and politics and yeah. all of those sort of things. Um, and you know, it, it, it's not the playground you want it to be, um, but that's that's life, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, but and there is there is plenty of creativity in there, plenty of stuff to get your yeah. teeth into, and and those are the bits that make me and I think every other supervisor I know happy. Yeah. And you know, it's great being able to sit with a team of talented people and craft something and work together. Yeah. Uh, you know, and collaborate to make something special. So the the politics and the management is is what comes with being able to do that. You couldn't you yeah. couldn't have that collaboration if you're not managing teams and managing the interface with you and other departments on the film and managing how it, the studio are you know yeah, dealing with yeah. it, etc. That's that's what you have to do to to have that collaboration. Yeah, I mean, collaboration has come up a lot at FMX this year. Actually, a lot of the sessions we're running here, collaboration has come, almost come up every time. And you talk about creativity, because typically creative, it's all about the work, it's all about the work. But actually the work, to your point, doesn't get made without genuine collaboration, communication, working together as a, as a collective whole. Absolutely. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So moving on, uh, right, again, looking back, it's all very reflective here, Tim, is what's the most important lesson you've learned over your career? Uh, do you know that I'm going to come up with one small 
quirky one. I'm going to go and be creative. I mean, there's lots of lessons I'd say I've learned about how to manage big projects and stuff like that, yeah. which in many ways are sort of more important. But, but to show there is some creativity, I'm going to come back with a creative one. This is something I was taught by my art teacher uh, when I was at school. I had a really brilliant art teacher when I was at school. He was, you know, sort of well-respected throughout the whole country, and he was, he was sort of quite special. And a, a lot of the things he taught me about art have been useful in everyday life as well. But uh, he taught me about chiaroscuro, the, the sort of traditional, I don't know when it sort of came up first, probably Renaissance sort of time, you know, the idea of light and dark, light and dark, light and dark. Um, and, uh, you know, that is important visually when you're creating shots. It's very important to me. It's, it's something that I try and remember often, that, you know, you want light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. Do you get a sort of rhythm of it across, across the image? Uh, it's very important for that. But in filmmaking, which is a temporal medium, you know, it's, things change over time, there's a sort of light, dark, light, dark, light, dark from... from one frame to another frame. It's not always about brightness. It can be about mood. It can be yeah. about speed. It can be about energy. Wow. You know, but but sort of it's and and how you you know stuff nothing to do with filmmaking. I yeah. I sort of you know that idea of changing things and changing things with a different rhythm all the time. Uh, I think is a really important concept that you can apply to so many different things yeah. in life. You know. Was it he or she? Uh, it was a he. he I mean, yeah. he was ahead of his time, right? I mean, that sounds like almost kind of really complicated colour grading. I mean, you know, get a feel of a shot, you know, not just like light dark, but just the whole... Yeah, well, well, he was talking about of... it mostly in, with respect to, like, Renaissance art. Of and course, things like yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, it... it but it, but apply it to... It, but apply it to everything, film. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, he, yeah, I mean, he was uh, very inspirational and, and yeah. quite special, yeah. I love that. So that links neatly with the next question, which is who has been your most important professional mentor? Is it your... Art teacher from school, or are we going to uh, Well, I was going to say, do you know, I was going to say, I don't think I have a single one most important professional mentor. I would yeah. mention a few, uh, and they're all, apart from one, uh, directors I've worked with. I think you learn more from the sort of people, I mean, you obviously learn more from the people above you, but, of course. but from the people above you, not just in your role. You know, I mean, I, because of when I started in the industry, I've never really worked for other visual effects people um, <laughs> because there weren't any at the beginning and then yeah. I was the visual effects supervisor so I, I haven't sort of learnt off another visual effects supervisor I mean once or twice I have worked with one but yeah. even then you know not massively um, so I've learnt off directors and I think you do learn more working from the person who does the sort of the job above you that has a broader view because I think looking at the bigger picture whatever job you're doing understanding the broader view and how it interfaces, you know, in the, in the case of visual effects, how it interfaces with the art department, with the cinematographer, with the editor, with the, yeah, you know, etc. And so seeing it from the director's point of view is important. So Alfonso Cuaron, massive yeah. influence, but there was Roger Woodburn, Danny Klein, and a couple of directors I worked with when I was doing commercials, mm. um, you know, and a few other directors along the way, Christopher Nolan, I've learned wow, a yeah. lot of. And the one person I would say in a similar vein who is not a director, who I've also learned a huge amount of, was Chivo or Emmanuel Lubetsky, the cinematographer on Gravity, mm -hmm. who is, uh, you know, a really genius cinematographer. And I learned a huge amount about 
cinematography of him and the craft of making yeah. for movies. Um, so that was great. But yeah, I definitely learned more of people outside of the visual effects industry, really. Yeah, I love that, that whole different perspective of different roles, yeah. particularly the director role, but yeah, the whole kind of yeah, trickle down to cinematography and the various crafts in film. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Great answer. Thank you, Tim. Um, moving neatly, I say that a lot, don't I? Moving neatly, nice segue into underrated tool or tools. You know, what's underrated that you use on the daily that's indispensable? Okay, well, I'm going to go from talking about something creative previously to talking about something not ostensibly creative, but very important, I would say, to help me creatively. I use a tool called Dynalist. Uh, it's, a, um, it's a hierarchical note-taking app. There's a few of them out there, Dynalist, Workflow, -y, I've, you know, I've used them both, and mm -hmm. I think there's a couple of others. But it's hierarchical. You can take notes and expand one note and collapse it, and, and it goes down levels and levels and levels and levels and you can link one thing to another nice. and it's it's a great way you can use it for brainstorming you can use it for collaboration you can use it for structuring the talk i'm doing tomorrow i've totally structured in it because you can splurge everything down and collapse it and see an overview and expand it and see the detail and you can move stuff around in your notes and it's just a really powerful way to um take notes, create notes, get stuff, information out of your brain, share okay. information, lots of different things. Love that. And that's an app? It's an app, yeah. It's, you, can, you can use it for free. I'd recommend everyone sign up for a free account and play with it. There you go. Uh, a lot of people at Framestore are bored with me trying to recommend <laughs> it to them. Um, but, you, you know, but then if you want all the bells Ooh. and whistles, you pay a small monthly fee. That yeah. is, you know, it's very, that. very powerful. I'd I mean, say. I just take notes like a almost a sitting a serial killer. It's just the, the scrawlings of a madman, and, and I rarely refer to stuff. I love the idea of taking all of that and using it. Yeah, right. and because you, you can find it again very yeah. easily, partly through the hierarchy, partly through search mm. and things like that. And uh, yeah, it's incredibly useful. Well, I've tried a lot of apps, and we get a lot of recommendations on the podcast. So I'll let you know how I get on with that. I'm going to okay. give it a go, Tim. Um, so we're getting into the last few questions now on the pod. Um, this is the most popular question, and we're going to try and be asking. We're going to ask a lot of people here. Actually, we're going to be TikToking our uh, our recruiters. But the question is, what is one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting out in your field? I would slightly referring back to you know who my mentors were. Yeah. I would say look at the bigger picture. Whatever you're doing. At, at any point in the process, um, try and understand how what you do fits in with, you know, the bigger picture, and try and see it from a bigger picture viewpoint to see what people want you to do, how they want you to do it, to, to you know, to understand people working alongside you, what they need, etc. Don't get too focused in your particular job. I think. Yeah. Um, that enables you to do your job well and it enables you to be ready to move on to the next stage and move up. Yeah, that whole concept of being open-minded as well. We talk a lot about squiggly, curvy careers and you know, yeah. no career path is necessarily linear. No. Being open to those surprises along the way. It's, it, yeah, one of the great things about coming up when it was the early industry mm. is you did every role. <laughs> you know, you yeah. were a team of one often. You did every role you've got experience in doing a broad range of things and you know so when you come to be a visual effects supervisor I understand a much wider range of things than someone who might have been come up as an effects TD or something who's come yeah. along a narrower more specialized path it's it's harder for them I yeah. think excellent so yeah look at the bigger picture it's great advice 
Okay, one of my favorite, probably my favorite question on the pod now, Tim, is what's one question you wish I'd asked you, and how would you have answered it? Where have I failed today? Uh, how do you manage to look so young? No. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> what moisturizer do you use? <laughs> yeah. um, uh, oh, I've gone blank. Well, it, it might mean I've just done my job. Yeah. yeah. I said, well, yeah, no stone left lots, unturned. Lots of good questions. Yeah, excellent, definitely. excellent. I'll take it. I'm taking that answer to the bank. And who would you like to hear on the podcast next from the Framestore community? Because your name's come up a lot, so I'm glad we've finally delivered. Yes. But who would you like to hear? I'll tell you who I'd like to hear, and it, I don't think you've done this person, but maybe you already have, but is Mel Sullivan, the, oh, C yes. the CEO. She is incredibly able, lovely person, very interesting, but who uh, doesn't shout about herself, doesn't make a big fuss about herself. She gets on with doing things brilliantly and she has been a huge rock on, at the centre of what has made Framestore, Framestore. But yeah, keeps very quiet, Agreed. really. Um, so, uh, it, well, quiet if she's not talking about Arsenal. But, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, I think it would be fascinating to hear about her. I agree. I'm keeping a kind of tally chart of the amount of times people have said Mel Sullivan. Uh, oh, so really? I have to, I have okay. to make it happen. It's <laughs> yeah. coming. It's coming. Yeah. Okay. Right. We're moving into our last couple of questions now, Tim. And this is the re those anyone who does listen to the Frame Store podcast will know that um, this is why people this is why people pay their admission is they want to hear if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Well, that is particularly challenging for me. I used to, as a young child, I was a very, very fussy eater. Um, and uh, since around about 20, I didn't eat any vegetables at all till I went to hypnosis around my late 20s, I think. So I, I literally had to go to hypnosis to be able to eat a vegetable. Um, since then, I've been trying to improve and I've recently been on a big health kick and the sort of concept I'm, you know, I've been reading about, the, based on latest science, um, a lot of research has gone into gut microbiomes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's all about diversity of food. So to have to suddenly go back to eating one yeah. single meal for the, the rest of my life, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's really hard. So I'm going to have to go back to my childhood uh, when I survived pretty much off honey sandwiches and honey go for sandwiches. honey sandwiches. Yeah. I remember having honey sandwiches. It was honey sandwiches or, um, or mar not marmalade. God, I'm going all bloody Paddington Bear. Um, it marmalade. was crisp sandwiches. Oh, crisp sandwiches, yeah. And uh, somebody told me about they used to have sugar sandwiches. Ooh. So you'd have butter and sugar in the middle, and then it would turn into some kind of like icing kind of situation. It sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I love that. I thought you were going to kind of go egg and chips or something. or you yeah. know, But that is a that, honey sandwich. I, I, yeah, I had I was, it, yeah. That was almost all I ate. Yeah. We'll, we'll know you're having a bad day if I see you in the corner. I'm <laughs> yeah. just chowing down on some honey sandwiches. Yeah. Okay, right. Final, final question. It's the unofficial question. And we've got Sergio Gonzalez here. Who, it's his fault. Uh, episode one. When uh, asked what question that he wished I'd asked him, he said, what music do you listen to while you work? And uh, we've created a Spotify playlist. So I'd love to know, what do you listen to while you're working, if you listen to music, of course? Well, do you know, I, I pretty much don't these days listen yeah. to music while I work. Most of my working is yeah, about collaborating. It's meetings, it's reviews, it's about other people. So you yeah. can't really listen to music. And uh, on... True. The gaps in between, I'm quite often really having to focus and concentrate on get yeah. deep into things. So I don't much, yeah. but uh, 
I will give you a piece of music piece that thing. I would like to listen to um, if I had the time. Uh, Garecki's Third Symphony um, is a very beautiful piece of modern sort of classical music. Um, and I'm not much of a classical music fan, actually, but um, it's an incredibly beautiful, slow-building piece of music that I would recommend to everyone. Amazing. Well, it's going on the podcast. Uh, uh, track one. I'm going to okay. open it. It ends with the Venger Boys. Thank you. Thanks oh. to Carl Woolley. Which okay. I, I curse him to this day. Um, amazing. Well, before we go, I just wanted to say thank you, Tim, because uh, before we launched the Framestore podcast, I remember sitting out on the, the roof deck at Framestore kind of asking for advice about the podcast. So yeah. you, you, coined, you, know, you came up with the idea to split it into episodes to kind of shorten the running time. And I thank you for that because uh, it, it's really made a difference and we continue to get great feedback on the pod. So great. I hope you enjoyed the experience, Tim. It was very interesting. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Before I let you go and before I let you go, is, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to plug? Anyone you want to shout out? Uh, I've got a talk tomorrow in the hall. Um, more talking about me, sadly. Um, about various things I've done in my career. Um, but that's it. Cool. Yeah. That's worth plugging, I think. Uh, please give Tim a huge, extra huge round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. And it's goodbye from the Framestore Podcast. Thanks very much. Well, that wraps up this week's episode, our FMX special with Tim Weber. It just leaves me to thank Tim for being a brilliant guest and good sport, Mario Muller and the FMX team for the recording and their hospitality, and special thanks to Sam Sosnowski from the global training team on production duties. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another special guest from our global Framestore community to take on the dailies, and of course, a willing co-host to join us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.